0: All right, what's happening? What's going on? Welcome into to Sports Betting Daily. All right, I'm assuming that you just listened to uh, the podcast from yesterday, or at least the Wednesday pod, uh, How to Be a Pro Parts 1, 2, and 3. So this is the continuation, Parts 4 and 5. This summer, we did a five-part series, How to Be a Pro, and uh, since we got a little behind this week, we're just going to replay all those uh, on these uh, couple podcasts. So uh, this one right now, we're about to play... 4 and 5. So this is episodes 4 and 5, How to Be a Pro. Hope you enjoy. We'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Betting Daily. All right, what's happening? What is going on? Welcome into Sports Betting Daily. Let's get to it. Our Wednesday, How to Be a Pro series. We've had a couple shows so far. And uh, today we're going to talk about the market. This is very important, very crucial. You have to know how the market works. You actually have to know how the market works in detail if you're going to beat the market. right? That doesn't make a lot of sense to say, I'm going to beat the market. I'm going to make a living betting sports, and I'm going to beat the market, and I'm going to cash out every month. But if you don't know how the market works, how are you supposed to beat the market? And if you don't know how sports books make decisions they make, how are we ever supposed to, to find opportunity with the prices they're giving us? So let's start off by defining what is the market. The market, the sports betting market, refers to the collective sports betting world setting prices of any given game or market or, 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 you know, game outcome events. I don't care if it's Joey Chess not eating a hot dog. The market decides what that price should be. It refers to the betters, not necessarily the sports books. You see, when most people hear market, they think sports books. And that's actually not really true. Now, sports books do play an important role, right? In setting prices, setting opening lines. But very few actually do this. So before we get into the markets, let's talk about the different kinds of sports books, because this is important, right? There's two different kinds of sports books and business models that sports books choose to employ or choose to deploy. The first one and the most popular one that we all know about is called the retail sports book. And we'll talk about that in a second because we're going to focus first on the market making sports books. Again, these are the two kinds, retail and market makers. So let's start start off with market makers. Market making sports books do just that. They create the opening lines or create the opening markets for all of these different events or games or whatever you're betting on. So an example of this would be maybe bet online, okay? They're an offshore sports book. they 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 come up with their own price for a lot of different games. Let's talk about the NHL because I bet the NHL I know bet online is a market maker for the NHL, one of the few market makers. So how it'll work is, let's say, Let's just come up with two random teams, the Colorado Avalanche and the Anaheim Ducks. Okay. Let's say Anaheim is at Colorado. Well, Bet Online has their own team of people who create prices, they create lines. So, what will happen is the day before the game, usually the same time every day, Bet Online will put out tomorrow's games, tomorrow's opening lines. And the thing about market making sports books is they charge a much more fair price point than retail sports books we'll get there in a sec with the retail but market makers don't charge minus 110 minus 110 they'll often charge you know 10 cent 10 cent straddles where it's minus 105 minus 105 right minus 108 minus 102 things like this so mar- market making books have an advantage they give people like me where every cent you're saving is so important. Uh, more of a fair price, more of a fair bet for almost every single game, every single situation. What happens, though, with market makers is they move largely based on action early in the process. So if in this Colorado Anaheim game, Colorado opens up minus 130, Anaheim plus 120, let's say, well, I think, and, and let's say I think there's value on Colorado, I would max bet Colorado, whatever the max bet is, maybe $500, early in the process, maybe 1000, and the line would likely move. If Colorado was -130, maybe they move to -140 or -135, whatever, right? So, retail sports books, excuse me, let's stick with market makers. So, market making sports books, open lines up, move based on action, and come up with what they consider the fair price to be. It's very rare a sportsbook opens up a line and no one bets on it. What that would mean by definition is everyone who bets on these games thinks that line is perfect because because with the added in vig, even with the 10 cent straddle of minus 105 minus 105, if the line is perfect, there would be no side to bet on. There would be no profitable side. We only make a bet when either side of the line is wrong. So. It's very common that the opening sports book will have a quote, wrong line based on what the market thinks, and it'll get hammered into place, at least what the early sports bettors think the place should be within a matter of minutes to, to hours. So market makers open lines up, move based on action, and take all of the early action from pros because the lines are favorable and low hold, right? Low, minus 105, minus 105, low household. That's a market making book. These are very rare. These do not exist. I would say maybe 5% of all sports books are market making sports books. Almost every book that we see advertising on TV is not a market making book, it's a retail sports book. And the one kind of confused sports book who can't figure out what they are would be DraftKings. I see DraftKings advertising like all these other retail sports books, yet. They offer opening lines for Major League Baseball. I think they're going to offer opening lines for other sports. So I actually love that DraftKings is trying to take a stand, trying to offer opening lines and get involved in other ways. But I would still consider DraftKings to be, if you had to pick between the two, probably more of a retail sports book. A retail book simply copies market-making sports books that's it, right I, 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 I'm always kind of hard on retail books because I say like a monkey could run them because it doesn't take any brain power but think about it if bet online we talked about earlier, that whole process the abs open 130 and let's say I bet them to 135 and some other syndicate comes in bets them to 140 and then someone else comes in bets the abs to 145. before you know it, the abs opened up minus130 now they're minus 145 okay so here's what happens in the process if at this point, the Avs are minus 145 and the Anaheim Ducks are plus 135. Now, after all these lines have been settled and they see where the initial pros have made their money or put their money, now all of these retail sports books, Bet MGM, Caesars, Points Bet, they simply copy Bet Online. And the, the, the key here is the lines have already moved, they've gotten hammered into place. There is no value left because the value is gone. So all these sports books do their best to wait till the value is gone copy the lines, put the lines up at their sports books, and then charge a heftier price, right? So not only are they waiting until the value's gone because all the smart sports bettors have taken the good lines early, they're now charging minus 110, minus 110, which is substantially about twice as bad as you could have gotten at the offshore books early on. So that's how BetMGM makes its money. And that's why sportsbooks are so appealing these days. People think you can just open it, copy other lines, charge minus 110, maybe even minus 115 if you're a real asshole, and you'll make a living. That's why I say these bookies, they don't know anything. Bookies are nothing but failed wannabe sports bettors who like the industry, like sports. These people do not, now there's a few and far between out there who maybe could be good sports bettors who are good at this, right? I'm not saying every single bookie in the world, but most bookies out there are looking for this, Right, the, the retail side of things where they copy someone else, they charge a hefty household, and they watch the money come in. And this is also primarily because most people who use retail books are making parlays and these ridiculously awful bets where you're donating your money to the sports book. If you bet on Bet Online, you're probably not making that many parlays. Now, I know if you live in a state where it's it's that's where you have to bet, that's a different thing. But overwhelmingly, if, if most of my friends who you know, making these five, 10 team parlays who I, that I always say not to, they're all betting on like FanDuel and BetMGM. So that's the idea. Not only are they getting the worst of the, of each price, not only are they getting the worst of each number, they're making the, the, the bets in, in, in ways that are going to lose them money like parlays. So those are the different kinds of sports books. And to know how markets work, you have to know the difference between market making sports books, those who open lines, move on action, offer fair prices. Compared to retail sports books who have hefty lines, have unfair prices, and who copy other sports books. And you may say, wait, I don't get that though. Why would anyone bet with a retail sports book? That's a very good question, right? You got to ask yourself that. And it's because the retail sports books, instead of offering fair prices, they would rather offer a bad price and put their money towards marketing. That's why we see all the BetMGM commercials. That's why we see all the BetMGM promos, right? And instead of offering minus one hundred five, minus one hundred five, BetMGM says, "Okay, we're going to offer minus one ten, minus one ten, but we'll give them a twenty-five percent, you know, parlay boost instead." That's what retail books try and do. They put their money elsewhere. It's a business decision. Most sports books out there are retail books. They don't actually have anything to do with making the market. And most market makers, op- all market makers, open lines move based on action and really have a big deal to do with where the lines are, where the lines settle into. Um, so let's get back to the market. Now that we know the two different kinds of sports books, market makers and retail sports books, let's get back to the market and let's talk about how lines move, because obviously we know sort of the basics of this, right? Um, market, make it, market maker books are going to open a line, people are going to bet into those books and they're going to move. But it's actually much more about who is placing a bet with them rather than how much the bet is for. Now, I mentioned earlier, if I make a max level bet on an NHL game when it opens up, it'll move a little bit. I can move opening lines, right? Uh, Most people can move opening lines. The question is, how much can you move an opening line? One cent, two cents, five cents or 10 cents, right? There's a difference. And the sports book doesn't care really how much the bet is for. Now, if it's a huge bet, they're going to want to balance their actions somewhat, but it's more about is Tyler making the bet or is it some random back rap player? Right? Is this Billy Walters betting one of the best handicappers of all time or some random rich person who throws their money away? Sportsbooks have a, a a profile on every single one of us. They know what kind of bets we make. They know if we're smart sports bettors. They know what kind of sports we like to bet. They know everything about us. So that's how they decide. Is this a good bet, bad bet? If they know I made you know, $25,000 last year betting in the NHL, they're probably going to take that bet more seriously than someone who lost $25,000 last year betting in the same sport. So it is more about who bets compared to how much is bet. You know, sportsbooks often will take a side. The common trope out there is, you know, sportsbooks, they want 50% action on each side. They pay the losers with the, or pay the winners with the losers money and keep their percentage. That's not really the case. That's sort of a, overly simpl- way overly simplified version of what actually happens more times than not sportsbooks are taking a side now what side are they taking sportsbooks have information they know who's betting what sportsbooks want to position themselves on the side of the sports bettors that win money most people think the sports books are sanctimonious and we, we all need to follow the sports books and give them all of our respect and attention and blah, blah, blah. That's not the case. We need to give the best sports bettors in the world our attention because they're the ones moving the market and they're also the ones that all these sports books want to be on their side. If a line opens up minus three and Billy Walters bets it all the way up to minus seven, the house wants the, the favorite to win because that's the side the pros are on. So they're going to try and position the money to where they win when the pros win. So, sportsbooks do take a side. It's not 50 50 every time. Okay. But I will say this if you're going to put it in a percentage, I will say lines are made up of 80% who's making the bet and 20% what's the handle on any given side. How much was bet on any given side? And it is easier to move fresh opening lines, right? I've talked about I move NHL lines, you know, a couple cents on bet online. It's easier to move those compared to, you know, NFL lines, right? And it's easier to move college baseball lines than it is NHL lines. So it's all relative. And some sports are easier to move than others. And that comes down to how strong the markets are. Okay, let's talk about strong versus weak markets. Strong versus weak markets really defines how easy, in my opinion, it is to win in any given market or any given sport. The NFL and the NBA are considered to be very, very difficult to beat sports or very difficult to beat markets. And that's why most people, when they first get going with this professionally, like I did, you don't bet the NFL and NBA. Why would you want to surround yourself with the world's best handicappers and the world's strongest markets when you just get going in this? You know, you compare the NFL and NBA to to weaker markets like NHL or even deeper NHL player props. Those are weaker markets. How can we tell the difference between a strong market and a weak market? The first thing we can do is look at the limits. Limits are going to tell you a lot. If any sportsbook lets you bet 5, 10, 15, twenty thousand dollars on a game, chances are it's a pretty strong market. Okay, the NFL's not going to take or the sportsbook's not going to take a $20,000 bet on a hockey game. it doesn't matter what time of the year they're never going to do it because the market's so weak. The NFL, if you go make a, a, an NFL bet the day of the game, you can make in some places in Vegas, 25, 50, maybe even a hundred thousand dollars if they know you right? You can make huge bets in the NFL and NBA. Why? Because the markets are strong. And by definition, the strong market means the number is going to be more efficient. It's going to be tougher to beat that number. That's why we don't see such big line moves in the NFL. If a line opens up minus three, it's so rare for that line to close minus 10. However, in the NHL, it's not uncommon for a team to open up minus 110, right? Like like a pick'em, and they'll close minus 190. That happens not all the time, but way more often in weak markets like the NHL or college baseball compared to strong markets like the NFL or NBA. So you look at the limits, you look at how popular the sports are, how much money, it's all about liquidity. The more liquidity in a market, the stronger that market is. And it's it's simple. That's sort of like it makes sense, right? The more money, of course, the line's going to get hammered out into more of a precise location because the people betting are going to be smarter and there's going to be more money on that game. And the reason I say the people betting are going to be smarter, it's again about the limits. If you're a million dollar sports better, you're not going to bother with $500 limits in the NHL. You may not even bet that sport because it's not worth your while. So that's how we know the best and brightest are betting the NH or the, the NFL and the NBA The limits are so high, it's worth their while. If you can get 20 grand down on an NFL game and only 500 down on an NHL game, you obviously want to put your time and energy towards the $20,000 option because you're going to make more money a lot faster. So, the limits, the liquidity, that tells you how strong or weak any market is. And my advice would be if you're going to get going doing this, start off in the weaker markets and advance to the stronger markets as you get better. Overall, the market refers to an agreed upon price that the smartest, most profitable sports bettors land on. So if we're looking at an NFL schedule, like a whole sports book of NFL games on a Friday, it's pretty fair to say, okay, this is what the market agrees on. The market thinks Kansas City should be X. The market thinks that the New York Jets should be Y. This is how we can tell what the sports betting world thinks about any given game. And we, we should assume that market and that line is usually almost always better than any individual, whether it's us or someone we know. I'm even talking Billy Walters. Collective IQ is always more powerful than individual IQ. Always. This is a known thing. So the market by definition is always going to be a very good indicator of what the best and brightest out there think about any given game. And let me say this. If you plan on making a living, bucking the market, and pretending like the market doesn't matter or it's not important, you're going to lose your money at a very, very fast rate. I talked about earlier this week, I did another show, another podcast I do called College Football Tailgate. And I kind of play the role of the pro sports better on that show. The co-host, the, the lead host, my, my co-host on that show, Will Chambers, is like the biggest college football fan I know. Right, He's the definition of a fan. Right, He's square. He's a fanatic. He gets all emotional about this stuff. And you should hear the way he talks about the market. If I say, you know, team A is minus three, he says crazy things like, oh, I'd bet that team all the way up to minus nine. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? You don't talk like that if you respect the market and know how the market works. And if you do think like that, you're gonna lose your money, like I said, very quickly. You have to respect the market because at the end of the day, as we said, the market is nothing more than, and I shouldn't say nothing more than because it's 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 hyper important. But the market is a a right out there, very obvious. It's out. It, it, it's it's there for everyone to look up and everyone to see. What do the best sports betters in the world think of this game? Just look at, 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 at whatever the price is like three or four different sports books. That'll tell you. And so, if you venomously disagree, you know this is this is funny. This is what I did early in my career. I tried because I really trusted my numbers, and my stats. So if I bet a team -110 and that moved to like +110, I would double down. I'd go, "Oh, we're getting a better price and this line's bad. I'm getting the best of it." What I learned, and it was a very, very tough lesson to learn, is that doing that consistently, what you're doing is you're bucking the market, aka you're bucking the best and brightest doing this. So if if the most if the smartest collective people making millions of dollars doing this say one thing, And you try and continuously say, nah, I think you're wrong. And I think I'm going to be right more than 55% of the time. Again, that's a way to lose your money very quickly. Okay. So now that we kind of know this about the market, we have some takeaways. How can we use this? How can we be actionable and use this market knowledge with our sports betting? Couple things here. First off, we have to bet early because by definition, the closer we get to game time, the more liquid the market's going to be the more efficient any line's is going to be. You have to bet early if you're going to get good prices. We also learned that, and we didn't talk about this too much, but if this is all true, which it is, chasing steam, aka seeing where the early professional money is going, is actually not the worst thing. And that's considering the steam is real, and no one's trying to pull a head fake. We're not going to get that deep on today's show. But if you just watch the market and see where pros start betting games, NFL games, early on a Monday right? NHL games, the day before they play. You see where lines move right when they open up? Steam chasing can actually be pretty profitable, or at least somewhat profitable. Um, We can also uh, uh, tell, do we have the best of it? Or at least in in our perception compared to the market's perception. If we bet a team minus three, and that team closes minus five, hell yeah. It's like, yeah, we got the best of it. We got in early, the whole market agreed with what we did. Afterwards, we have a great price. But If we make that make a bet minus three and it closes pick 'em or minus one, we now say, okay, the sports betting market disagreed with what we thought, and maybe we can reverse engineer and and see why, and say, okay, why did I think they should be that minus three was a good price, and everyone else thought that the other team was a good price at plus three? Why, Why did that happen, right? And we can do some reverse engineering and try and find out why did I disagree with the smartest sports bettors in the world on this game. So it's actually very important to do this, right? I've talked about this before. It's it's so important to have the to, to be egoless as a sports better. Do you don't have an ego? It's tough to, to do these things with an ego. It's tough to look and say, well, maybe they were right, I was wrong. Let's let's dive in and see. You know, the, the, it's very important to say, what does the market think compared to what I think, and evaluate your handicapping process and see how you got there. So look, that kind of does it for today's show. That kind of wraps everything up. The market, just to kind of Recap everything one more time, Cliff's notes version. When people refer to the market, they're referring to the collective of all the best sports betters in the world moving a price into what they believe to be an efficient number. Once a line stops moving, really, sort of by the way lines work and the, the way the market works, both sides of whoever was betting on it thinks that the volume's gone. So, so I, I guess to give an example here. If an NFL line opens up three on Monday morning and it moves to six and then doesn't move off of six for the rest of the week, what does that tell us? We can actually learn a lot from that. What that tells us is all of the best pro sports bettors out there, they agree that the price should be somewhere around six, because if they thought the price should be seven, they would bet it up to seven, right? If you think the price should be seven and the sports betting market's offering six, Well, you bet six, and then you bet six and a half, and then once it gets to seven, you stop betting, okay? And let's say another syndicate out there with just as much money thought that the price should actually be six. Well, now they take the plus seven and plus six and a half and knock it back down to six, right? And let's say both these sports books end up going back and forth, a lot of money comes in, and the line settles on six and a half. What we can tell is that that is where the world says, okay, no more value, Because if there was value, someone with money would be moving that line. So we can tell when a line settles that the rest of the sports betting world doesn't think there's volume left. Or or value left, not volume, value left. So ask yourself, if the entire sports betting world said, okay, no more value once the line got to minus three. And at that very point, BetMGM and PointsBet open up minus three on their websites... Do you really think you're going to make money consistently betting into that three, whether it's minus three or plus three? The answer is no, because both the value's gone on both sides. The line is settled. That's why I think this is so funny when, you know, ESPN on Sunday morning will do their public money reports. Let's see the public money. It's like, it doesn't matter where the public money is because there's no value by definition on either side. So I don't care whether 80% is on the home favorite or the away dog, there's no value left because the market says there's no value left. So... You know, I don't want to get too confusing here, but the market is or is referring to what all the best sports betters in the world think. And when all the value is gone, the line stops moving. It's not about sports books; it's about betters. But in today's show, we did go over different kinds of sports books, retail versus market makers, because they do have an important part in opening the line. But a market is, or the market refers to everyone. What does everyone with millions of dollars think about this line? That's what makes the market strong or weak. That's what makes markets easy to beat or hard to beat. And that's how lines move. I right, appreciate you listening to today's show. Uh, good luck with whatever you have going on today or tonight. Hope you catch some winners. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Sports Betting Daily. All right, what's happening? What is going on? Welcome to Sports Betting Daily. Let's get to it. Uh, Wednesday's show. We've been doing this series for a few weeks now, How to Be a Pro. And this is going to be one of our final shows. I think that we're going to finish just in time for football season. So I think maybe this week, next week is going to wrap it up. So today we're going to talk on the How to Be a Pro series about the price. And this is really important, right? Last week we talked about the market and saw how prices get where. But today's show we will talk about why you need to specifically be price sensitive. Price sensitivity is one of the most important uh, traits any good sports better has. Remember, if you want to get good prices, be really price sensitive, and always make sure you're getting the best number, check out betteredge.com. When you sign up, put in promo code SBD, and they're going to give you a free $20 upon sign-up. You don't even have have to deposit anything yourself. Sign up, put in promo code SBD, get a free $20, see how you like betting VIG free. But price sensitivity is one of the most important traits. So let's talk about that. Knowing your price is everything. That's what we've talked about for several shows. That's what I've said now for several years on this on this podcast. Everything in sports betting is very, very complex. The the path of handicapping, what you choose to use in your handicapping, coming up with the final price, it is very complex, very nuanced. But at the end of the day, at the end of the process, it comes down to one thing: what are they charging? And what should the price be? If you've done all kinds of homework and you know your prices and you've done all kinds of regression analysis and you know a, a box of Cheerios should be $3 from the grocery store, that's perfect. Then you go in, and if the, if the Cheerios are on sale for $250, you know you're getting a good deal. If the local grocery store is selling Cheerios for 5 bucks, you may not want to buy those because you've done your homework. You know they should be $3, right? That's an oversimplified example, but that's the same thing with sports betting. If the Broncos should be minus 3 and the market is charging minus 5, we don't make the bet. But if the Broncos are minus 3 and the market's at minus 1, of course, we want to make that bet. So knowing the price is obviously hard. We talked about that on one of the shows, How to Get There, the math. But once you have it, you've got to stick to it. And I can't tell you how many times early in my career I didn't follow this rule and I lost money. You know, after you spend a lot of time, especially if you don't have a quick, refined way of handicapping, anytime you spend like an hour handicapping a game you almost feel like you have to bet that game because you put so much time into it, so much effort, you like this side. Just because you like minus 110, and it was minus 105, but recently, last couple minutes, maybe it's moved to 110, 115. Some people may say, yeah, I liked it at 110. I know it's moved to 115. I'm still going to make it. That's what this all comes down to. If you don't have the discipline to not make that bet, you're not going to win long-term in sports betting. So really, price sensitivity comes down to not making bad decisions when the price isn't right to make a sports bet, even if you love, love, love a certain game. And here's what many people don't understand. If you, let's say in an example, the the, the Broncos are minus three against the Raiders, and if you love the Broncos minus three, it's your best bet, but for some reason you couldn't make the bet, and later that day they moved to, to minus four, and you still make the bet minus four— What people don't realize is that's a different bet. Broncos minus three and Broncos minus four against the same team is a vastly different bet. And I have an exercise for you. If you track all your bets, go back the last year. In every NFL game, give yourself an extra half point. If you had a team plus five, give yourself plus five and a half. If you had a team plus seven, give yourself plus seven and a half. If you had a team minus three, Give yourself minus two and a half, okay? Give yourself a half point every single game. Your win percentage is going to amaze you how much it improves. That's the thing with being price sensitive. Just because you spent an hour handicapping one team doesn't mean you have to bet that team because, you know, how often does that happen with all of us? I know what used to happen with me all the time. Let's, again, random game off the top of my head. Let's say the Brewers are playing the Reds. And for some reason, you love the Brewers, right? It's like, oh, I want to bet the Brewers. But you do the handicap, and a couple good things about the Reds pop up, and a couple bad things about the Brewers pop up, and you just spent the last 50, 60 minutes handicapping the game. A lot of people, myself in the past included, it's like, I just spent an hour doing it. I still kind of like the Brewers. Let's just make the bet, right? That's what it comes down to. If you waste a lot of time, sometimes it's going to happen. That's why I think it's good to have a refined process. But being price sensitive and not understanding that even if you waste a lot of time or spend a lot of time on a game, you don't always have to make that bet. It's so tempting to right, to bet on games you've fallen in love with, but you have to stand strong. Now, there are some things that come with this. If you start betting on prices and teams that you are very strict with, that you just bet on what should the price be, what is the price... There's a couple things that make the average person out there kind of unsettled because two things happen. One, you're going to end up with bets you don't love. And two, you're going to end up betting on teams that you actually think are going to lose. Okay, let's, let's, let's go through a scenario. If we think a team is going to win 40% of the time, 40 equals plus 150 in, in American odds. All of these odds have an equal percentage that it correlates to. So, by definition, if we think a team is going to win 40% of the time, that means we think the other team is going to win 60% of the time, obviously, right? So, we would have the team that we think is going to win 40% of the time priced plus 150. And we would have the team that's going to win 60% of the time priced minus 150. Because when we do our handicaps, we don't factor in the VIG. That's what the house does. Ours is just an even 100% for any event. So, 40% plus 150, 60% minus 150. In this whole price sensitive thing, let's just walk through a few examples. If in that example, team A should be, uh, let's just flip it, team A should be minus 150, team B should be plus 150, and the price is minus 110, minus 110, who do we bet on? Of course, we bet on team A, right? Because they should be minus 150, and the market's charging minus 110. Another way to say that is the odds should be closer to, we think the true odds are 60% for this event to happen, and the market's right, 60%, aka minus 150, and the market's charging as if this event's gonna happen 52.4% of the time, minus 110. We've got a huge edge, we make that bet. But, if that same price instead of minus 110, minus 110, is plus 200, minus 150, what do we have now? We have one of the lines, minus 150, that we deem to be accurate. Remember, we had team A winning 60% of the time, team B winning 40% of the time. So if team A is minus 150, team B is plus 200, what do we have here? Team A lines up with our projections. We had team A minus 150, the market has team A minus 150. No bet, right? It's exactly what we thought, there's no value there. But team B, we had plus 150, the market's charging plus 200. So you make that bet. Now you have a plus 200 bet in your portfolio that you've made. So Let's walk through this. What you've just done is you've made a wildly profitable bet. If you always make a bet at plus 200, that should be plus 150, you're going to get rich very fast. But here's the caveat. We're actually betting on a team that we think will lose. We're betting on a team that we think will only win 40% of the time. So you may say, why the hell would you do that? Why would you bet on a team that you know or think is not going to win even half the time? Here's why. Because they're charging... As if they're going to win far more often. So if we think the price should be 150 and they're charging or they're going to lose far more often. So if we think the price should be plus 150 and the market's charging plus 200, that gives us a substantial edge despite of what we think is going to happen. You see, we don't always bet on on the team we think is going to win. We bet on the price that offers us a positive expectation. That's why it's not about the team. It's about the prices. You have to start getting used to this. If you're going to win in sports betting, you can't bet on the teams. And this is why I say you shouldn't bet. If you're just getting going and you want to become a professional, you shouldn't just bet or you shouldn't bet on a fan you consider yourself to be an expert on or on a sport you consider yourself to be an expert on or a fan of. Okay. Otherwise, what I've seen 99 times out of 100 is diehard fans, right, all the experts, oh, I watch every single hockey game. I watch every single NFL game. They get so caught up in the narratives and the good teams and the bad teams. Most fans think the good teams are a lot better than they are. And most fans think the bad teams are a lot worse than they are. That's not, Most teams are right there in the middle. But what ends up happening is if you're if you're a diehard NFL fan, as an example, you likely won't bet on Tampa Bay with Baker Mayfield, regardless of the scenario. Most people hate Baker Mayfield. Most people don't want to bet on Tampa without Tom Brady, right? So it's like if Tampa Bay, and this is a just total hypothetical I'm I'm pulling out here, but if Tampa Bay is plus six against Buffalo, okay, let's say they're at Tampa. Buffalo is minus six on the road to Tampa. I don't even know if they play this year. It's hypothetical. Most people will do one of a couple things. They'll either tease Buffalo, right, with another game from six to pick them. They'll either do that or parlay Buffalo money line with other parlays. Most people won't even look at Tampa Bay plus six here because Buffalo's good. Tampa Bay sucks. Josh Allen's great. Baker Mayfield's horrible. So most people won't even look at Tampa. But here's the thing. Not just in this example, along the market, the market, especially in the NFL, is very efficient. So if Tampa Bay is plus six at Buffalo, what that tells you is most people in the world think that's a fair price. But you, at home, you go, oh, that's not a good price because Buffalo's great. Tampa sucks. So you either tease Buffalo, you moneyline Buffalo, or you simply don't make the bet. But oh, if I said, okay, right, in this example, if I said, okay, what if Buffalo wasn't minus six? What if they're minus seven or minus eight or minus nine? You're all still teasing Buffalo down, or you're all still taking the moneyline Buffalo. No one even thinks, oh, it went from six to nine. Oh, I'm going to take Tampa Bay now because plus nine is a good bet. Most people, because they're diehard NFL fans and follow these narratives, and it's not even necessarily and follow these narratives, it's just the way they, that fans think, most fans won't bet on Tampa regardless of the price. Most fans won't bet on, you know, Iowa against Ohio State, whether Iowa's plus 17, plus 20, or plus 23. So, this is what it comes down to, and this is one of the hardest parts. You have to bet on the prices not the teams. You've got to be price sensitive. This really is everything. It's so tempting to bet on teams we love, games we love, and, t- and teams we think are going to win. But once you know the price, or you think you know the price, that is everything. Now, before we get out of here today, let's quickly touch on closing line value. Kind of an interesting topic that we could do a whole show on, whole week on. But over, over, let's just define define what it is. Closing line value, or CLV. You'll see this written, you know, written differently in different places. Uh, Closing line value is just that the value you have from your line to the closing line. And this is why it's important to bet early. If you're going to bet the NFL, seriously, you've got to bet on Monday. So let's say if we bet the Broncos minus three against the Raiders on Monday— and that line moves to Broncos minus 4 against the Raiders on Sunday. We have one point or one, you know, one point of closing line value. So, over the course of a season, you can go back and say how many games did I beat the closing line and how many games did the closing line end up worse than what I bet than what I bet. My thoughts on closing line value is it's very important. I think closing line value is a great sign, probably the one main sign, the one thing you want to pay attention to if you're a new sports better, to answer the question: Am I on the right side more than I'm not? Now, look, closing line value doesn't pay the bills. I've had stretches, long stretches of my career, where I have dominated the closing line. And I mean, we're 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 betting teams at minus two and a half to close minus seven, and they just don't win. So at the end of the day, it comes down to market efficiency because you know, when we talk about all this, if the market isn't efficient, closing line value wouldn't mean shit. It wouldn't mean anything. The only reason closing line value means something is because theoretically, the closer we get to the game, the more efficient the line is going to be. So if you bet minus three, the line closes minus seven. That's overwhelmingly a very good sign. If you bet minus three and the line closes plus two, that's a very bad sign. You may win, the game you have minus three if it closes plus two, and you may lose the bet you have minus three if it closes minus seven. But the point is you can tell overwhelmingly where are you compared to the market? How well can you trust your numbers? How well can you trust your approach? That's what closing line value is all about. And it is related to price because obviously if you have a team minus 115, like in your projections, okay, and they're charging minus 105 in the market, and you make that minus 105, but it goes against you, you've got to evaluate a couple things. Why did you think it was minus 115 in 105 offered value? What are you seeing that others in the market aren't seeing, and how can you adjust that moving forward? And if that ends up being a great bet for you, then you should stick with that. But as I said before, you're not going to make a living always bucking the collective IQ and going against all these lines that move against you, but closing line value is important, it's going to show you, are you on the right track? Can you do this long term? Closing line value is very important for that. And we would have no closing line value mean, you know, it wouldn't mean anything if the market wasn't efficient. And I do believe in the efficient market hypothesis for sports betting. You can look it up, I believe it exists here. And that's why closing line value is so important. But overall, today's takeaway price is king. You should know the price and stick to it. Bet on the prices, don't bet on the individual teams involved. All right, that does it for today's show. Appreciate you listening. Stay tuned tomorrow. We're going to have some picks, wrap up the week on a strong note. So we'll talk to you then right here on Sports Betting Daily.